This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The Talksport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to this week's No No Never podcast. I'm going to be your host this week, James Bird, and with me, I've got Natalie Bromley, as always, a lot to talk about this week. In fact, we were unable to record last night because I was uh, travelling, and what a spot of luck that, that happened, because everything, uh, bar the game, has happened today. So, plenty of uh, stuff for us to talk about on a, a Tuesday evening, and hopefully you'll be listening to this uh, Wednesday, Thursday or Friday, and uh, hopefully we've not outdone it with even more stuff. So the first thing we want to kick off with before we get into the Man United game is uh, Aaron Lennon signed today permanently from Everton. Um, obviously, this has been talked about for a, for a week or so. Um, it looked close, but Dash, as always, didn't want to show his cards when he was asked about it by the press. Um, likes to keep his business behind closed doors. And yet again, that was proved the case. Um, Natalie, do you think bringing Lennon in is a good move? Obviously, someone who over the last couple of years has had a few personal problems. Uh, obviously, it's been well documented, the great support he got from Everton fans. And I think with Darsh's man management skills, he could be someone who brings him really back to his best that we saw um, when he played at Spurs. Definitely. I mean, I think it's a really exciting signing. And I think I kind of kick off where I feel on this signing by analysing the quality of player that we're getting into this side. And as much as we were progressing and as much as we were trying to build a club, I don't think in any other transfer window, this side would have been attractive enough a proposition to um, basically get a player of Lennon's quality to sign for them. It's not just a loan you know, signing. It's a it's a proper deal that, that he's chosen to come here and to play, you know, the next few years of football at Turf Moor. And, he, and I think that's a recognition of the manager keeping hold of him, um, his backroom staff and what this team is, is doing on the pitch. Any player that comes to us is is guaranteed 18 months worth of, of Premier League football. So they're going to be essentially nearly, in, well, in the last year of their deal, um, assume, like, like, you know, in the worst case scenario, sorry, that we end up getting relegated next year, you know, they've potentially only got one year maximum um, in the championship if they chose to stay or if not, you know, they've still got some of their contract to be able to, to get out relatively cheaply. So I am massively excited by Lennon's sign and I think it's a real statement for the club. I've seen some negativity among Burnley fans and I swear to God, I mean... If any of you out there have got sort of sort of sound logical reasons why you're not happy with this signing, then please do tweet me and let's have a conversation about it. But I have seen some really silly tweets about his age and about, you know, some fitness problems. At the end of the day, Sean Dyche has proven over and over and over again that he can get the best out of these players. Look how amazingly well Ashley Barnes is doing at the moment, who, by the way, is currently linked with a Chelsea move, for God's sake. You know, so if anybody can sort out um, Lennon's um, illness issues that he's had. You know, he's, he's had a, a tough 12 months, um, but it looks like he's, he's back on his feet. And and you know what? Deitch will have thought about that carefully um, when he approached him and when he signed him. He would have made sure that he knew that he had the expertise and the support network to help him get better or to help him through any um, struggles that he has while he's with us. So I'm not even, I'm not even concerned. I think it's a fantastic signing on both sides and I'm massively excited to see what he can do. Yeah. I think the biggest point you make there is about the sort of stature of the signing. I think if you said to me, um, you know, two or three years ago that we'd be signing a player like Aaron Lennon. um, Yeah. He may be, you know, not at his best at the moment, but he he was a, a, a you know a big player. He's 
for, for Spurs. He, he's got a lot of quality. Um, and I think, you know, people who complain maybe need to remember that as well as we're doing this season, we still... Uh, we're still Burnley, and uh, we're not all of a sudden overnight going to be attracting the you know the, the big names, the people who are playing at the very top of the game right now. So to get someone who's um, you know played at the level he has, that you know still has the potential to play at that level, uh, and maybe just needs the you know the key to the door, then th- th- that's great for us. And I think uh, Dash has shown before with Joey Barton, um, you know what he did with Joey, he, he managed to get the most notorious English player in the, the the modern game to calm down and not not make those rash mistakes that have maybe characterised parts of his career previously. Um, so, you know, you're talking about maybe, I, I think, the arguably the best man manager in the game right now, um, you know, for what he gets out of players. Look at the people we've got playing for us and some of them you, you wouldn't put in a, a top half of the Premier League table, um, but he, he unlocks potential. And uh, I think Aaron Lennon's a, a really good one for him to go at. And I think it could answer some of our questions. That, so I felt against uh, Man United that the biggest problem for us was we had a, a lack of cutting edge. Um, Natalie, do you think that Lennon's someone who can maybe give us that little bit of something that can unlock doors and help us score goals when we need them? Because that's been our big problem this season, just not enough goals. We can, you know, play as well as we did against Man United, but unless you get the goals to go with it, you're not going to win games. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That was probably the most frustrating element of Saturday, wasn't it? In that we we pretty much matched that United side and, and the, the difference was um, a very ruthless player who who took an opportunity, saw an opportunity, sorry, and took it. I absolutely think that, that Lennon will be a difference and I actually think Nkudu as well will be a difference. When we saw him in the final 10-15 um, minutes or so of the game on Saturday, he, he looked bright, he looked positive. Um, I'm really pleased with the play and the discipline in this side throughout all of the positions apart from up front and this this will come to no surprise to regular listeners because it's it's been a, a gripe of mine for a few weeks now in that we just we get in some really good positions and we play some really good football through midfield and we just seem to get to about 30 yards out and the, the move just dies there and it's sideward passing and there's nobody there's nobody really prepared to run at the goal and there's nobody seeing an opportunity and just grabbing it and like you say having that ruthless streak and I don't know whether it's a lack of confidence I don't know whether it's against um, the style of the players that are on the pitch or whether it's a specific tactic of Dyche we know he doesn't like to overcommit players forward so maybe he prefers to you know steady steady away and try and create lots of half chances and get one in rather than go for it break away and, and maybe find yourself, you know, committed too far forward and, and struggling at the back. You know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if that was very much um, one of Deitch's tactics. So the reality of the situation that we're facing at the moment is, is that we have to now evolve one step further. I think it's fair to say that the changes that Deitch implemented this season and the lessons he's learned from previous seasons have perhaps kicked in maybe quicker than he expected. I think he felt that he have the ability in his staff and his players to keep us up again this year. But let's be honest, I suspect that even inside the club, we were again looking at around 40 points by the end, 40, 42 points by the end of the season and just hovering around that 15, 16th mark. The fact that we're more than likely going to finish top 10, barring an absolute disastrous second half of the season, um, I think that's maybe beyond expectations. So given that the plans they put in for, se- for this season have evolved and been successful as quickly as they have, I think just don't rest on your laurels. Don't now just let this season peter out. Take it up another step. And and you, Deitch has got the luxury now of probably, it's two wins from safety. So as soon as we get those wins, he's got a brilliant, luxurious position where he's got the rest of the season risk-free risk free to try new things, to try different players, to try different positions and getting that ruthless streak and giving the players confidence to attack and run down the wings and put really good balls in is a it's just absolutely the way to do that. Yeah no it'll be interesting to see what um what experimentation Dash does you know in the home stretch when it's going to be I think quite clear that we're going to be very, very comfortable uh, and not looking backwards. Um, so to talk about the Man United game in detail, obviously a little bit of a different running order this week, but just because of the Aaron Lennon signing, we, we didn't want to come on to points in the Man United game that we'd already be wanting to answer with the, the name Aaron Lennon. So to me, I thought it was a really well-matched game. Um, 
I actually I, I had a quick word with Joey Barton um, after the game, and he said you, you couldn't see the you know the, the the gulf in spending between the two sides on the pitch, and I think that was you know really the the big point to take away is that you know they've got players like Paul Pogba playing in the middle there, and you know he cost what over two thirds of what we've spent in our history uh, on one player. And, you know, you look across the pitch, you've got one Maia, you've got so many big name players in that side uh, who really should be tearing, you know, teams with who've only spent the, the mere amounts we have apart. Uh, and they weren't. And I thought we were really well matched. I thought, you know, you look at the possession figures and that's probably one of the closest games possession wise we've ever had against one of the big sides in the Premier League. Um, and you look at the chances they had and it's one really on target. Um so saying that, obviously, just really disappointing to to be sunk by just one chance for them. Um, obviously, it's a, a great strike by Marshall. You, you can't really uh, complain about conceding that because that's a, a, a great strike. Um, maybe there's a little bit in the build-up we, we could do better to, to prevent it. But once it falls to him, uh, if he hits it like that, it's going in. 99 times out of 100. Um, but we just didn't take chances and I don't think we created enough. So w- what did you think went wrong with it, Natalie, you know, in that game? What was the, the difference? Um, I don't think in terms of tactics and awareness of the opposition, I don't think we did an awful lot wrong, to be honest. Now, let's be let's be realistic here. We were also very lucky and benefited by quite an out-of-sorts United performance, I thought. Um, That is unfortunately becoming the norm for for Manchester United under Jose. I hate this current United side. He has got them playing the most ridiculously negative, downward football I've ever seen. And it's certainly not the entertaining and spark-inspired football that you come to expect from a global brand like United. So whilst it was disappointing, you know, that that spectacle wasn't there, um, you know, we did benefit from a very, you know, out of sorts United side. So, it, you know, that meant that it was a much more level playing field than perhaps we saw against um, Liverpool. Well, I guess no, Liverpool wasn't that bad. At Spurs, for example. Um, so, you know, we, we did benefit from that. So once you get into a situation where you've done your homework, you've set up your game plan and the opposition is playing exactly how you expect them to play. And um, I don't think we did an awful lot wrong. Um, there were two things that I think we sh- that lost us the game. Um, the first one is is the lack of opportunities, which I'll come back to in a second because I think you're right there, James. I think that's, that was the biggest problem. I think the, the second one is um, we switched off just for one second. And the golden rule of this league is you cannot switch off for one minute because teams will punish you, especially one of the top six sides. And I thought, I thought for the most of the game, we defended very, very well. But just for the 30 seconds leading up to the goal, nobody... You know, nobody clamped him down, nobody tracked him. They just gave him, backed off, backed off, backed off, gave him space and just allowed him that freedom to have a shot. And like you say, James, he's not going to miss from there. So Deitch will know that and Deitch will work on them to make sure that they are concentrating for a, for a full, you know, 95 minutes of a game. And I would add, by the way, that I think this side this season is way better than it has been in previous seasons of not losing that concentration. It's just, unfortunately, when we have, it's punished us. Um, now, this, the, the first the first point, which, which I'll come back to secondly, is the, the lack of opportunities. And I think we've got a general problem with a lack of pace and creativity in this side because of the way we've cho- chosen to play our football this season. But one of the things I was disappointed to see was a lack of reaction to specifics in the game. And I think we've maybe been a little critical of Deitch about this in the past to say that he's, he's not proactive enough in his approach. You know, he sets, I think Daniel... Um, uh, Bentley talked about this when he was on the show a couple of weeks ago when he said that he sets up his game plan and then that's it and if it doesn't work then it doesn't change there was a gaping hole down the middle of United's central midfield they just were they had no bodies there they were playing really out wide they had their defense in some in in you know set up it in 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 that format our central midfielders had so much space to run down the middle and get into the box. And it wasn't until maybe about 35 minutes on the clock that I think they suddenly started to realise and started doing it. And we created then 
two or three really good chances to, to get our noses in front. But then in the second half, we we didn't do it at all. So I don't know whether or not Deitch was so rigid in sticking to that formation that he'd set up and, you know, pushing it out wide for, for the wide men, trying to get Arfield and Goodmanson to put balls in, in, in into Ashley and then obviously Vokes when he came on towards the end. But I think that was a real opportunity that we missed there. If we could have just especially when we went 1-0 down as well, because at that point we've got nothing to lose. You know, just just try and run down that middle and just put balls to feet rather than lumping it from the wings over into Ashley and, and trying to see if he can get a, a header on target. So, so yeah, they, they were, whilst overwhelmingly, I don't think we did an awful lot wrong. And actually, I think it was a pretty good performance from our boys. If we're going to be super critical and try and figure out how we lost that game, I think for me, those were the two key points. I'm going to come back to the central midfielders in a moment, actually, because uh, I thought it was something quite notable about their performance. But very quick question for you, Natalie. Do you think Lukaku fouled me uh, in the build-up to the goal? I didn't see it um, at the time. And forgive me, I have not um, looked at the replay since. Um, I certainly didn't think that he did in real time. I certainly I wasn't on my feet and I wasn't calling for it. I was, I was more sort of shouting like, track him, <laughs> track him, track him, close him down, close him down. So I, do you think there was? Do you want to – I'm, I'm going to rely on you for this one, I think. <laughs> Again, I didn't think so in real time, but um, having seen it back, it, it's one of those ones that you wouldn't say, yes, clear cut, but I'd say sometimes you see that sort of thing go against Ashley Barnes uh, going the other way. So it, it's just interesting um, that, that it wasn't – you know, wasn't picked upon. I don't think many people commented on it, really. Um, what I want to say about the midfielders was, for me, I think Jack Cox had a little bit of a, a rough spot. I don't think he's been awful, but I think over Christmas, um, he, he maybe wasn't playing at the same level. And I think he recognised that himself as well. In one of his interviews, he said that, um, you know, the Christmas period was tough on the lads. Um, you know, there's a lot of games, it's hard work. Uh, but I really thought Jack Cox in particular was, back to his absolute best against Manchester United. I think he looked absolutely class yeah, on the ball, everything he did. Um, and it was a difficult game for him because I thought, and this comes into one of my other points, I thought he didn't get a whole lot from the referees. Seeing Paul Pogba was allowed to take a few liberties with the, the way he tried to impede him. Um, and Lingard to an extent as well. Do you think the referee just lacks a little bit of consistency there with how he deals with those niggly fouls? Um, some of them were given against Burnley and were supposed to be so players booked, but then Man United get away with them and it took a lot more mm. for them to start picking up bookings. Well, it's it's not a it's not a Man United problem. It's a top six problem, isn't it? And we we've talked at length on the podcast about whether it be an actual bias or a subconscious bias towards these top six sides, and it's becoming more obvious this season. It's just. It's beyond frustrating the difference in attitudes and the different approaches that officials take to protect the top six sides. And, and we've all got our various um, theories as to why that is the case. I, I actually thought up until about maybe 15, 20 minutes or so into the second half, I actually thought Mac Dean was having a relatively okay game. It's, I certainly didn't think he was turning it into the Mike Dean show, which he usually does. I didn't feel like we'd been pretty harsh done by or or we were particularly being favoured. Um there was a there was a ten minute or so spell um in the second half where I thought he lost control quite a bit. Um I think one of the the, the key points was when um th- there was the the push up there was a push by somebody to concede the the free kick which I think one of our players had been booked for way less than that and then Pogba just blatantly kicked the ball away now somebody correct me if I'm wrong but I was pretty sure that that's still a bookable offence you boot the ball away but, but again you know he just looked at Pogba and just didn't do anything and and we see it a lot we see some of the big sides you know shouting at referees and in their faces and and they do seem to, to, to get away a lot with a lot of things so I'm not calling for a, a massive um outrage that this was thrown by the referee I, I, I didn't think it was a particularly horrendous performance by Dean but I did think he had a 10 minute spell where he was um he was really poor lost it a little bit although actually one thing I would say on the referee I did see um I think somebody tweeted me this not somebody who I follow so I don't think I immediately saw it on my feed but I saw it a day or so later where a United fan had tweeted me to say that 
in the first half, Mike Dean was about as homer a referee as you'll ever see and was so biased against so biased against United and gave everything to Burnley. I, I, was, I was genuinely, I don't know if it was just a massive trolling exercise because I, I don't think anybody in that stadium can legitimately say that Mike Dean was massively prejudiced against United in that first half and gave Burnley everything. So, yeah, it's, it's funny how perceptions change, don't they, depending on what side of the fence you sit. Yeah, it, it does. And I think all the big teams think they should be getting more decisions, or at least the fans do. Uh, scratch that. The players do. You see it every week on the pitch. Um, last thing I want to talk about about the Man United game, uh, I think obviously you touched on it a little bit, uh, Natalie, but subs a little bit too late. It felt like the game just needed a little bit of pace, uh, maybe something that DK, GK, sorry, could could offer um, and maybe it was just a, a little bit too late. I always feel like subs need to be around like the 65, 70 minute mark and with Dash it seemed to be more like 75, 80 and I think we saw Wells was causing a little bit of, of trouble and he actually ended up, I can't remember which United player it was, but he ended up getting impeded. I think it might have been by Smalling and shockingly, this was one decision I really thought Mike Dean got wrong. He, he gave it as a free kick for Man United when Wells was in full flow and uh, small and practically just stopped in front of him. Um, but do you think he just needs to make those changes maybe that five, ten minutes early just to give him a chance to do something? I understand the logic that maybe he just he doesn't think it's going badly, so he wants to see how it develops. But yeah. you can't wait forever, can you? No, you really can't. And like I say, most games I leave it in his hands because he obviously knows way better than I do uh, of how to manage a side. But I think he got it wrong on Saturday. It was so it's almost like he was trying to defend a 1-0 loss and it's it's really hard to do that and it was a game where what was going on on the pitch was probably not going to result in us getting an equaliser I, I, I feel like Deitch's rationale with this is to try same as he same as the strategy adopts when it's nil nil whilst there's only one goal in it there's always a chance for us to get something out of the game and I, I always feel like he's just when 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 they're not playing particularly badly and there's only one goal in it, he will just keep going as long as he possibly can and then bring on the players at the end who will try and get us a half chance to, to get us a, a point out of the game. And, and it just didn't work on Saturday because aside, again, like United, they just, they're going to adapt too quickly to a change. They're not daft, these players. They are intelligent players and they're very well trained so if you bring on your substitutions they will figure it out really really quickly so you know if if you're going to bring them on well maybe actually maybe that's maybe that was what Deitch wanted to do then maybe he knew they were going to get on you know come onto it too quickly so there's no point bringing them on any earlier but to me it just felt like we we weren't creating enough and and the substitutions that I made, I thought that he made, I thought were perfect. Um, they're exactly the substitutions that I wanted, and they started to show straight away um, why he would bring Naki Wells on for two minutes. You know, he brought him on with the 89th minute, I think it was. What's the point? Absolutely, what is the point? You know, we're not learning anything about Naki Wells. We are not benefiting from his ability to maybe offer something different and change the game around. So, do you know, he should have brought Vokes on. Um, really early on at about say 65 minutes and I would have brought Naki Wells on between 70 and 75 minutes and just give them a chance see what they can do um yeah I think I think that sounds harsh but I think he got it wrong on Saturday yeah I think it's one that you, no matter what way around you do you, you can always argue it either way I remember once was it Blackburn at home in a season I can't remember but Sam Vaux came on five minutes left scored an equaliser um I remember Sean Dash in his press conference. Someone from the Bob Lord shouted, what are you doing bringing him on for five minutes? He's going to do nothing with that. And obviously he's got an equaliser. So <laughs> it, it can always end up uh, turning out the, the opposite way to what you expected. Uh, at this point, it feels like a good time to, to bring in a few comments from my Facebook. Um, we posted uh, the other day, after our recent run, how are you feeling? Patient or frustrated? Let us know. Um Plenty of you commented, uh, and there's some interesting comments in there, and uh, I'm just going to pick one or two just to read out, um, just for anyone who doesn't 
like us already on Facebook. We are no name ever on Facebook as well. So uh, go click the like button there if you haven't already. Um, Phil Fish said, not at all. Enjoying every second of us playing like we did today, win, lose or draw. From where we have come from to where we are now is something I never thought I'd experience in my lifetime. I'm just an armchair supporter. If you die hard, well, you must be pulling off, end off it every game. If I can't quite read that bit. If we manage to keep hold of Dyson, it's onwards, long may it continue. Um, I think that sort of hits it on the head. It's considering where we've been um, in my lifetime, at least. Uh, I think the first game I remember going to was uh, when we needed to beat Plymouth Argyle on the last day of the season to stay up in uh, Division 2. Um, so to come from there to, to where we are, sitting comfortably mid-table in the Premier League, that's absolutely astounding. Um, just to go for a, a bit more of a balanced comment, Ryan James said, we need some goals ASAP. I'm sure they will come, but what needs to happen is the subs need to be brought on sooner so they can have some impact in the game. Wells needs more than two minutes per week. Overall, eighth in the Premier League is amazing, to say the least, with our budget. Dash is a magician. Just need a few more players in. Striker, top priority. Um, so obviously not quite answered the striker one, but hopefully Wells will see more time and obviously we've brought in someone who can maybe make a little bit of a difference to the side. Um, so moving on, Dash is a magician. Well, Dash is a magician with us for another four and a half years now. Signed a brand new contract uh, with the whole of his backroom team today. Um, remains the highest paid person at the club. I think if Burnley fans were going to wish for, for one thing um, this January, I think Dash signing a new contract would have been number one. Obviously, there's been a lot of interest in him early in the season. And I know that manager contracts don't tend to protect you from uh, people looking for your manager. But just the fact he signed it, I think that shows that he's here at the club. His mind's at the club. He's, you know, he's, he's focused on the job. Uh, and it, when you look at what Watford have obviously just done with Silver, saying that his head was turned and, and as a result, results have suffered. I think it's massive to have him uh, put pen to paper again, Natalie. What do you think? Oh, it, it's incredible. It, it's the one thing that we all hoped for. And, and bearing in mind where we all were a couple of months ago with the Everton managerial merry-go-round, and there were some genuine fears among most of us that we were losing him. And the fact that we kept him and we, we rode that storm and we've now managed to commit him to the club till 2022 is absolutely fantastic. And I just, the stability behind the club in terms of the manager and, and the board and the players is just you can't underestimate how important that is to the success that we're having and it's just great to see and I think the fact that he has been prepared to sign a new deal to me shows that whilst we don't expect it to last forever and whilst we do expect his ambition to take him to another club at some point it does mean that he remains focused on the job that he's doing at the moment is a very in the moment guy isn't he Sean Dart he doesn't distract himself with what's going on around him he doesn't worry about what happened last week he doesn't get nervous or concerned about what's going to happen next week he literally he's the kind of guy who I expect wakes up and goes right what have we got to do today and how are we going to get from A to B by the end of the day and he lives in that moment and he commits to that moment and that's very much his psyche and very much the measure of the man that he is so I expect that he's very much adopted that attitude to his decision to sign a new contract he's kind of looked at it and thought well I didn't get the Everton job I didn't even get approached for the Everton job oh well never mind we'll move over from that disappointment I might get approached in the future for a bigger job I'll worry about that if it happens or I might have an absolute nightmare and I might get sacked from Burnley I'll worry about that if it happens but right now I am manager at Burnley we've got a new five-year plan coming up we've done all the things that we've done, but we're wanting to keep progressing. So right now, where I am, I am going to sign this deal and I am committed to being the Burnley manager under these terms. And it's just, it's honestly, it's made my season today (laughs) to hear that news coming out. Yeah, fantastic news. Um, I was driving when it happened. So the first time I knew of it was when when I got home. But absolutely fantastic and I think it's something we were all hoping that the club were working on behind the scenes and again we, we asked you on uh, Facebook what's been the highlight of his time at the club for you lots of you have come back some great answers um, I personally like Chris Cummings saying that omelette hashtag St Joey um, I think that was probably a turning point actually bringing Joey Barton in um, I love that, that post can I just say um, that's the best post <laughs> 
Uh, I think Joey was obviously fantastic for the club at the time. Um, was really instrumental in that promotion. I think he did a lot for. Um, I'm trying to think of the right way to put it, but sort of getting a, a winning mentality in the dressing room. Um, you know, he was a guy who wanted to win every time he played, and I think that rubbed off on the other players. Um, Phil Tricks Wilcox said, "How long have you got? It's all been fantastic. Even the relegation was done with fight and pride. 23 undefeated, stunning effort, two promotions. Not to mention his record against them lot. Buying four, loyalty, class. I could go on. Uh, I think that really sort of ticks all the boxes for for what you can say about um, our time under Daesh." Um, Obviously, it was a slow burner to start with. A few people, I think, were questioning the appointment uh, when it got to the end of his first part season in charge. But it was clear that uh, there was a longer plan there. Uh, he showed up the defence, something that was horrific, really, under Howe. And then after a full summer, he, he showed what we could do going forward too. So I think it's been an absolutely fantastic time under Dash. And uh, it feels... You almost get a, a tinge of sadness knowing that one day it's going to have to come to an end. But I think uh, we've obviously all got to enjoy the ride uh, while it happens and obviously see what he can do for the rest of the season because that, that's key now. Now the the worry about him uh, not having a, a longer deal has gone. Uh, I think we can all just focus on seeing what happens on the pitch for the rest of the season. Can I just say, sorry, James, that that's literally made me nearly sob with, just, with you just even saying that at some point we've all got to start thinking about life without Dyche. I can't even deal with having to think about our club without that man at the helm. I really can't. So talking about concentrating on the rest of the season, um, we've got a little bit of a weird break now, obviously being out of the FA Cup. So week and a half uh, between games. I can't remember what Dyche said his intentions were for the players. Obviously, I assume they're, they're in for most of it. They may get a day off uh, or, or two at some point um, to, to rest injuries. But do you think this is a chance to maybe work on a few different things, uh, a bit of an opportunity to help integrate Lennon and, and GK? And do you think maybe uh, when we come into the Newcastle game, we might just change what we doing a little bit, maybe just a little bit of a different shape or a few personnel switches. Um, personally, I'm going to bang that drum again. I'd like to see Matt Lawton back in now. for. Oh, God, me too. Um, but I'd also be interested to see what we can do with Lennon. I think, you know, there's a, a real good opportunity there to, to bring in that little spark. Um, so what do you think Dash is, is thinking with the, the train and opportunity he's got here with that bit of an extra break? Well, he must be excited, mustn't he? I mean, as much as the players tell us that they love games back-to-back and they love going, you know, having a very short space of time between them, they must also very much like the break at some point as well. Um, I think the most important thing for these players at the moment is to have a rest, and I hope that he has rested them properly. It was interesting to hear what you were saying earlier, James, about um, Jack Cork. Um, as much as he was massively improved against United, I think just for the last few games, I don't think it's been a, a huge loss of form. I think he's just tired. He pours everything into those games. He plays every single minute, and he was starting to just look like he was struggling with, with fatigue a little bit. So I want to see these players rested. When they do go back into training, um, I think one of the the perfect ways to sharpen this side and, and get the players fresh again is to try something different. We've got two new personnel already in the side and who knows how many more we're going to um, have in. You know, There might be something in the wings. We might be signing another player tomorrow. We don't know. Um, but we certainly need to be working on that supply line to our forward players Um Let's just hope, by the way, that we're not having to learn how to put a ball on Sam's head again and we lose Ashley to Chelsea when he becomes a centre-forward down at Stamford Bridge. Let's hope that doesn't happen. Um, for everybody who loves Ashley Barnes out there, it's actually, can I just pause for a brief minute actually and talk about this Barnes scenario? Um It wasn't something that we're particularly going to talk about, but I'm going to mention it anyway. This might be utterly nonsense, but most of you hopefully will have seen on social media this week that Sky Sources announced that, um, sorry, Sky Sports announced that sources had told them that Chelsea were interested in signing um, Ashley Barnes. They are looking for more target men up front to replace Costa. And apparently Conte wants Ashley Barnes. Now I'm kind of torn about this. Let's, Let's pay lip service to it and let's assume that they are genuinely interested in talking to, to Barnes. I feel really bad for the guy because uh, uh, the overwhelming feeling is that we can't let him go. Let's say this offer is genuine and they come in for him. We can't let him go because whilst Wood is still injury prone at the moment and not up to full fitness, Barnes is really the only decently on form striker that we can use at the moment in the form that we are sorry in the format and the tactics that we are using 
That said, I don't think there's anybody in, in the whole of Burnley who would begrudge Barnes taking a move to Chelsea, surely. How excited would we all be for him to just... For Ashley Barnes to stick two fingers up at all of the football purists who basically think that he's all arms and all legs and a big old clumsy orf who just batters around the pitch. For him to be selected by Chelsea to lead their front line as a big target man is one of the biggest compliments I think I'll ever see in football. And whilst I don't want to lose him, if it ever comes in for him, I can't help but think that that would just be the most amazing signing. I don't think I'd be happier for any other player, James. Do you not agree? I'm going to disagree because I actually oh, think... Oh, really? It, it, <laughs> He wouldn't get many opportunities at Chelsea. Um, it wouldn't, but it's it's more the prestige, isn't it? I'm sure. I actually think I agree with you, and I think he would probably prefer to play regular football. But let's be honest: when Woods fit and playing again, Barnes isn't going to get that much football at Burnley either. So you know, it's it's a massive prestige of being touted by a top four side that's in the Champions League. That's massive for him. Yeah, no, I, I get that, but I, I'd be concerned just how much he's going to be involved or whether he's just someone who's going to come on in the last five minutes and be a little bit physical for him. I, it's just difficult. It, I think Chelsea have been linked with some very strange players this, this January, considering the, the stature of the club. Uh, the players they've been linked with, I just don't think are Chelsea players. Um, that's no disrespect for Ashley Barnes. I just... I, I don't see him in a Chelsea shirt. I can't picture it. It's just not something that can come into my head. Um, you know, love what he's done for us. Love what he's doing for us at the moment. But it's just not a move I can really see working out for him long term. And for that reason, I'd, I'd want to I'd keep him. Yeah, maybe. I'm just. I guess I'm mainly thinking about it from his perspective, not ours. We would want to keep him because we're short on strikers. But I just, I just can't. It's such a phenomenal rise to the top for Ashley Barnes and I couldn't I couldn't stand in his way and I couldn't be anything other than massively happy for him. But anyway, I'm sorry for that interlude, but that was just something that stuck into my head then. So we were talking about um, preparations for the Newcastle game in this break. So um, I think we'd got to the point where we were looking at what we wanted Dyke to be working on with the players. And yes, James, you're absolutely right. I think defence and central midfield is a well-oiled machine. They know exactly what they're doing get practicing balls in the box, get using the wingers and start, you know, really working on getting some um, dynamic chances created in that box, I think. Yeah, well, hopefully we keep hold of him. Um, but if they want to spend a lot of money, then uh, I'll, I'll take the money, if they, depending on what offer they, they, what offer they're putting on the table. Because um, like I say, when Wood comes back, I think Wood's... Um, the, the best choice up front because as big a goals as Barnes has scored at times, I feel like he, he doesn't necessarily um, feel like a goal threat a lot of the time. And I think that's something we really need. I think that's something Chris Wood does offer. Uh, so to move on to after the break, uh, Newcastle away. Big game, winnable game. I think it's key for us to, to get a win. Um, not because we need it in the table, but because I think the fans need it to stop that little... Burnley temptation to become negative creeping back in um, and obviously Newcastle aren't really having the, the best of times they they look a team who I think are, are lost and uh, to be honest if they're not careful they could easily slip back down to the championship and it'd be a shame to see because I, as much as I sometimes hate their fans attitude of feeling they have an entitlement to be um, you know in the top half of the Premier League because they have got a big support and they are a big club Um I do like seeing them there. I think they've got they've got real fans. Um, you know, I think, I think the same as Sunderland for the most part. They've got proper fans, and it's a shame to see them struggling, and it's a shame to see them really being owned by someone like Mike Ashley. I think he's just really bad for the game and really bad for the club. And I, I can't imagine, you know, we've been spoiled really with the people we've had running our club. Uh, when you look at what some other teams have had to put up with, even obviously down the road at, at Rovers. Um, but it's a, it's a key game for us, I think, and it's a, an opportunity for us to, to get back on track and get a win um, and away from home, obviously, to continue how sensational our away form has been this year. So I think, Natalie, the main question here is coming in, do you make any changes to the lineup? I think we played really well against Man United, but like I said, just missing that little bit of a spark. Do you think there's any changes Dash could make that, that might just help us find some goals? 
Um, I think it depends largely on what we just talked about in terms of training. Um, I think if Deitch sees enough in the 10 days that he's got to work with the two new wingers, then we may very well see um, a change. I wouldn't be at all surprised if we start with the side that started against United, but with either or um Lennon and Kudu coming on. Um it's just it just worries me that it's not Deitch's way to start players coming into the side straight away in the next game. You know, even the big money signings, Wood didn't get to start straight away. Um Andre didn't get to start straight away. He, he just likes to keep them waiting and he likes to bring them in gradually. So I will be impressed but absolutely amazed if we see either Lennon or Nkudu starting against um, Newcastle. I think he's more likely to start with Arfield on that wing, um, Barnes up front, assuming he's still with us and he's not gone to Stamford Bridge. Um, um, And I think he'll introduce Lennon maybe quite early on. At this moment in time, I'm working on the assumption that Lennon will be first choice. Um, so he will play Lennon on the left and keep Goodmanson on the right. I know Daniel Bentley made a very good point a couple of weeks ago that Deitch isn't really too concerned with pigeonholing wingers as left wingers or right wingers. We've seen enough times about times he's played Brady on the right when he's the most left-sided, left-footed left player in the history of left. Um, so. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Lennon gradually take the place of Scott Arfield um, as number one choice for Brady with Nkudu coming in um, to try and change games or to cover injuries or suspensions. So, or some fatigue for, for good months and if he needs a rest. Um, but my gut instinct, as much as I'd like to see it, I'd like to see Lennon start on the left instead of Arfield, but I just cannot see it happening. It's just not the Deitch way. No, I, I agree. I think largely with that, it's not the dash way to bring new signings in. So I don't think we'll see Lennon start. But I think it, I hope we see Lawton start for for Barzi. I think that just can bring a little bit of spark oh, back God, down the yeah. right hand side. I think that interplay with JBG was so good yeah, early in the wow. season. And, um, We're missing him. We're really missing him. Going forward. Um, yeah. So for me, I'd really like to see that change. And I'd maybe like to see if Arfield's fit. Um, him behind the striker instead of instead of Hendrick. Instead of Hendrick, would you drop Hendrick then? Just give him a rest. I'd I'd either be tempted to drop him or put him out wide. Um, because oh, okay. he'll probably do a job out wide on the left, but I just think Arfield so just in swap, a bit swap, swap Arfield and, and Hendrick positions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think, don't mind that actually. I think Dash is very reluctant to drop Hendrick, uh, so maybe the best we can hope for is that Arthur gets to come inside and play that bit more of a free role. Yeah. To be to be honest, I'm I'm very reluctant to drop Hendrick. I genuinely don't think his loss of form at the moment is his fault. I just want Dyche to play him in the position where he's more suited to and, and get him to play in a position where he's more comfortable instead of playing him in that no man's land of a number ten role that he just simply can't do. Frustrating. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. So the last uh Topic for this week before we we move on is obviously two games uh, before the the probably the, probably before the next podcast. I'll say that because obviously something big could happen. We might want to put a little quick one out for you. Um, we could beat Newcastle ten nil and think it's worth doing a podcast straight away just to talk about each goal uh, because we won't fit into a normal one. Um, but Man City is the the game after the Newcastle game. It's an early kickoff, so my main question about this game now is obviously as well as it being incredibly tough. Um, I think we'll go in hoping that we could maybe get a draw. Um, Man City look sensational. And apart from that (laughs) Liverpool defeat, they've not looked like losing in the league. Um, I think they could easily sweep every domestic trophy, maybe even the Champions League too. We could be looking at a quadruple side there. Um, Do you think fatigue could be an issue after playing Wednesday night and then early kickoff on the Saturday? What, for us? No. Yeah. Um, I think even... It's, it's, there's no different playing Wednesday, Saturday as it is playing Saturday, Tuesday. Um, and that doesn't cause any particular problems. I know, obviously, you've got Tuesday night, but essentially you've you've only got Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So we've essentially got Thursday. Oh, I suppose it's one day less, isn't it? But it's not that different. Um, maybe we could read something into it if it was a standard week. Let's say it would be last week when we've at the back of, of quite a few midweek games. But it's it, it's coming straight on the back of a 10-day rest period. So I'm not concerned with that at all. 
Well, I can put my completely controversial opinion out there. Personally, I think Ooh. the notion of professional footballers getting tired playing twice a week is nonsense. Um, the amount of money they earn, professional athletes. Oh, well, okay. I'm going to call on that one, please, and I want you to elaborate on this. I've never understood, and I'm going to give you a chance to put your pitch here, James. I have never understood the comment that says he can't get tired or he shouldn't get tired is a professional footballer. No amount of money that you pay or your job changes your body's natural reaction to circumstances. So it doesn't matter how much they're getting paid. It doesn't matter what their job is. Sometimes they will get tired. So I want you to explain that comment, James Ed, and I want you to properly put that case why a professional footballer can never get tired with two games in one week. I'm not saying he, shouldn't, he can never get tired. I'm saying the default approach shouldn't be that he's tired. Um, if you think about the the length of a game of football within a week, compared to many sports, it, it's a reasonably small amount. Um Tennis players, how often do they play in a competition uh, every two days? They keep that up roughly from January to October. Um, professional cyclists, Tour de France, that's, you know, two days off in a month is all they get there. And they're adding over 100 miles a day, um, you know, putting the bodies through, frankly, absurd things. Even just to get enough calories to do that uh, is pretty disgusting to think about trying to consume like 10,000, 12,000 calories a day. There's just so many sports I think that are just tougher than football uh, and, and players in, in those, you know, athletes and players in those don't complain about uh, fatigue, um, you know, for 180 minutes in, in one week. Um, so I've always thought it's a bit strange. Footballers didn't used to complain about being tired, uh, played in worse conditions. And in fact, I looked, I saw a video the other day, someone put it on Twitter, I can't remember who it was, uh, but it was a, bit of old Burnley footage from uh, when we were playing in Europe back in the, the 60s and the pitch looked horrific how anyone could walk on it never mind run uh, was beyond me wet leather ball like it weighed five stone um, and he still sc- scored a beautiful curling goal from the edge of the area and you know players back then they weren't complaining about being tired uh, and Unfortunately, many of them are, you know, have been left with life-changing injuries from heading those footballs. So, I think the the way the game has probably got easier for the players. I think you know the quality of the pitches now. You look at turf more, even compared to ten years ago. Um, you know, when we had like the Liverpool Cup game postponed when it was waterlogged, and the pitch was frankly that season like something you'd find down the prairie, uh, you know, just mud everywhere, bits of sand poured on it to try and salt the water up. And now you look at it and it's like a carpet every week. Um, I've been lucky enough to play on it since it, it got redone when we got into the Premier League and it is the most, the, the least taxing surface, surface you've ever played football on. It's like running on clouds. Um, I just don't understand how you can get that tired playing twice a week on it. Okay, that's a pretty that's a pretty decent argument. Uh, I I don't I agree with you in that it's hard to envisage why a professional footballer would get tired just playing two games in one week. But I just don't buy the argument that the amount of money they get or the fact that the professional athletes completely blocks them from being able to do it. Um, no, the, no, the money point you're at is is irrelevant. However, the the point about money is more than complaining about it. To be honest, if you paid me that money, I'd may not be happy about something but, but I wouldn't just complain about it yeah you're right <laughs> um, put up, you know Alexis Sanchez half a million a week oh, oh my god please. I know crazy. <laughs> um can I just slot a quick thing in here that's just sprung to mind actually and I know again this isn't something that we were necessarily going to talk about but with you talking about the build-up to the Newcastle game and we were talking about how they were struggling I'd be very interested to see what our listeners think about who's going to go down this season. It's a really weird league table this year. In the in normal Premier League seasons, by this time, you've got a pretty good idea as to who's going to go down. Um, there's usually one, maybe two, who are really struggling, and then it's maybe one out of three or four. This season, it's literally, there are so many teams still in that, um, I guess, danger zone from, I think, probably about 13th down. It could literally be, let's have a look at the table. Um, One second, listeners. I'm just, this is not very good listening. Um, So if we essentially look at um, 
10th place is only Watford in 10th have only got 26 points which is only four points clear of Southampton from the bottom and with Swansea's win at Liverpool at home to Liverpool on Monday night they're now on 20 there is literally only three points separating Newcastle right down to Swansea but my question to our listeners this week which I want you to tweet me about and tell me what you think do you know what I genuinely think I think the three relegated sides are going to be the newly promoted sides I honestly think that Huddersfield Newcastle and Brighton are all going to go down so while I'm thinking about that and while James prompted my memory with the um what's it called that the, the build-up to the Newcastle game listeners get in touch either email us um or um tweet us and let me know what you think who your relegation favorites are sorry James I just completely well, you hijacked your podcast I think Brighton and Huddersfield have now started their slow mm-hmm. slip back into I agree and Newcastle look really poor. I think if Newcastle lose at home uh, to Yeah, us, like I said earlier, there's something major changes there. Um, and when you've got a manager like Rafa, just not investing in the teams, just <sighs> frankly unbelievable. And he's already um, whinging, isn't he? I've always said Rafa's not. It, he was whinging before the season yeah. started. I think he, at one point in the book, he's actually had him as one of the favourites to be, be sacked. first manager yeah, to leave right. his club on the back of the fact he might just resign because he's, he's not <laughs> Uh, um, I've, I've so. never seen Rafa as one to, to graft in the, in the bottom three and, and be a relegation dogfight. I don't think he's ever had to do that in his career, and I certainly don't see him changing this year. So there you go. No, I think Rafa's quite a loyal guy, so uh, I'd be surprised if he did resign. But you never know. Ashley might have pushed him to it. Um, that's about all we've got time for this week. So hopefully, it, it's been a decent podcast. Obviously, a lot of stuff happened on Tuesday that changed what we were talking about entirely. Um, Remember to, to give us a like on Facebook, None and Ever. Uh, give us a follow on Twitter, None and Ever. Um, and obviously, if you've got any feedback from the podcast, drop us an email. It's podcast at noneandever.net. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas for improvement, what you loved, what you hated, uh, and your general thoughts just on Burnley, what it's like being a Burnley fan at the moment. Uh, hopefully, we're going to be back with you after the Man City game, uh, talking about two wins. I'll be realistic. One win and a defeat uh, against the <laughs> undoubtedly clear choice for champions this year. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.